Hello, friend. Thanks so much for downloading this podcast. And with all my heart, I hope you hear something that edifies, encourages, equip, enlightens, and then engages you in the marketplace of ideas. But before you go and before you listen, I want to take a quick moment and explain to you this month's truth tool. The book is called I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith. You know, it's paramount as followers of Christ that we not only know what we believe, but why we believe it. So questions like heaven and hell, angels, the Trinity, all of these are foundational issues for believing Christians. But sometimes we don't fully understand what it is we believe about Christianity. So the book, I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith is just that. It's concise and it's a wonderful guide to explain to you the cornerstones of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. It's yours for a gift of any amount because In the Market with Janet Partial is a listener-supported broadcast. We stay on the air because you pray and give. So if you'd like this month's Truth Rule, just call 877-JANET-58. Ask for a copy of I Believe. That's 877-JANET-58. Or you can go online to InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Give a gift of any amount. We'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you. While you're on that website, you might want to take a moment, scroll down just a little bit farther, and there's a description of what it means to be a partial partner. These are people who give at a level of their own choosing, and they give every month. They get the truth tool if they ask for it every single month, and they'll also get a newsletter, only people that do, that includes an audio portion that only goes to my partial partners. So if you want to be a partial partner or you're just interested in giving one time to get a copy of I Believe, 877-JANET-58 is the route to go, 877-JANET-58, or online at InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. I Believe, a great book for you to put in your backpack as you continue your Pilgrim's Progress. Now, please enjoy the podcast. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. So Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely next... rare safety move by a nation. 17 years the Palestinians and Israelis negotiated. This Friends, welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. So glad we're going to spend the hour together. And we're going to talk about an important but a very tender topic. So here's a reality check. At this side of Eden, outside of glory, we're going to suffer loss and experience grief. And I'm so very grateful that he, capital H, is acquainted with all of our sorrows. And I'm so thankful that when God became fully man and became so intimately acquainted with the human condition that he showed us that he too could weep at the loss of a friend, that he too would grieve, that he too would understand what it meant to stand at a graveside, but that he would conquer death where the grave sting and the final word issued by an open grave is no more that death has been conquered. But so often we in our pilgrim's progress and in our human experience tend to define ourselves by who we were before the loss or the grief hit us in our life. And that's a terrible thing to do because God wants us to look forward. I'm so often impressed by the words of Paul, forgetting what lay behind. Can't forget the loss of a loved one or the loss of something that you held dearly in your life. But if we linger there, how do we move forward? Running a race with perseverance, as it says in Hebrews I don't read anywhere in that passage where it says we run looking backwards. We only run looking forward. So we're going to take a look at this I used to be idea and see if we can't change our perspective. 
And we're going to talk to a husband and wife team that are going to help us do just that. Chuck and Ashley Elliott. <clears throat> now, they are content creators who have partnered with YouVersion, Right Now Media, and an array of other national organizations. They serve as advisory board members for the American Association of Christian Counselors International Christian Counseling Association. They are frequent speakers and popular workshop leaders. They have numerous certifications and psychoeducational programs that equip them to help others build relational success. Chuck is also uh, speaking and, well, not he does speaking and writing, but in addition to that, he's a pastor at Bethel Church in Evansville, Indiana, and actually is a licensed counselor. They wrote the book, I Used to Be, and the subtitle of the book is How to Navigate Large and Small Losses in Life and Find Your Path Forward. Chuck and Ashley, the warmest of welcomes. Thank you for the gift of your time, and thank you for writing about such an important but sometimes very painful topic. Mm, thank you so much for having us. And you know what, Janet? I have been looking forward to having this conversation with you for a while. I heard you speak at the AACC, mm. American Association of Christian Counselors Conference, in 2020, uh, 2021 with Tim Clinton and all his friends and just thought you did a fantastic job, and I have looked forward to having this conversation ever since then. Well, considering who you are, Chuck, that means so much to me, and I appreciate it. But I'm drawn to counselors who are tender. You know, I, in fact, over the weekend, I was in the Word, and I was reading that the only place in Scripture where Jesus talks about his own personal character is in Matthew when he says, I'm humble and I'm gentle. And I thought, oh, Lord, mm. may mm. this be the year where I become more like you by being humble and being gentle. So when you write a book about I used to be and you're dealing with grief and loss, that's the embodiment of being gentle because this is a very painful subject. And it's also about being humble because when you're humble, you're willing to step into somebody's pain. You know that and your association with mm -hmm. AACC. So talk to me about why it is so often we allow, and this is the primary thesis of the book, and I'm so glad we have an hour because there's so many things I want to ask you. But why do we often identify ourselves as who we were before a loss as opposed to saying who I am now. This identification is a monstrous issue in the culture writ large, but it's always an issue for the believer as well. Absolutely. Identity is a big deal. Mm -hmm. The way that people are struggling with their identity, spiritually, um, sexually, all kinds of things going on in the world today. But when you lose somebody or something that you loved, it shakes your identity. So when you say, I used to be married, I used to be employed here, I used to be a mom, a dad, a son, a daughter, it shakes who you are because you don't have that spot anymore. Whenever someone asks you and they say, hey, tell me about yourself. A lot of times you tell about where do you work? What do you do? What are your relationships? You talk about your kiddos. And when something that you loved so deeply, you lose that, it shakes and you wonder, who am I now? I don't know what my identity is after I don't have that role anymore. And for me, whenever we walked through this loss personally, I really felt stuck. I felt like my identity was shaken and, and it wasn't just in one area of life, but it permeated every role in every area of my life. And so that's where we really started leaning into this identity struggle that comes from it. And so we saw also with our counseling clients, coaching clients, people at church, you know, everywhere we were, we saw that other people were facing some of these struggles as well, where they felt maybe they weren't on their A game. They were not bringing even their B game either. <laughs> they were <laughs> really struggling. And so they said, who am I? You know, I used to be strong. I used to be happy. I used to be a dreamer. I used to feel like I was capable or called. And so whenever we face those struggles, it may be as a result of getting stuck in a negative space. And so several years ago, I, through the work with clients and individuals, I 
coined this phrase like switch theory, where we're looking at how we get stuck in this negative space and we want to switch back toward this positive space. And that's part of the goal with the book that we want to help people not just feel stuck in their grief, but that they're able to move back toward a positive space pulling in on Christ, you know, and everything that we have, if we have scripture hidden in our heart Mm -hmm. that we can heal. And then the goal is to help other people heal in the future. Once we've kind of gotten ourselves a little bit bandaged up from the wounds that we face. Yeah. Wow. Ashley, because you are so open about it in the book, I would love if you'd be so kind to share a little bit about the losses that you dealt and when you were becoming a mom. And uh, I'm so thankful that you did that because what it tells me immediately is anybody who wants to offer counsel has to have ethos, but they also have pathos as well. And so when you mm. and Chuck write about your loss, you put both credentials on the table, which means I'm not talking from my head, I'm talking from my heart. I've had to experience this myself. Mm. So you hear the music and I definitely don't want to cut this off. When we come back on the other side, would you walk us through some of the things that you dealt with and personal losses in your own life and how the Lord was teaching you before you and Chuck could turn around and teach us as well? I think this is such an important book. Identity, as Chuck just said, is hugely important. And the world gives us all kinds of ways to identify ourselves, but ultimately the goal is to get to the point where we identify ourselves in Him. That's not the easiest thing to do, by the way, but boy, it's the safest and best place to be. More with Chuck and Ashley Elliott on their book, I Used to Be, fill in the blank right after this. Heaven, hell, angels, the Trinity, all of these are foundational issues for believing Christians. But do you understand what you believe? That's why I've chosen I Believe, a concise guide to the essentials of the Christian faith as this month's truth tool. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Ask for your copy of I Believe when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. We have the privilege of spending the hour with Chuck and Ashley Elliott. Chuck is a pastor at Bethel Church in Evansville, Indiana. Ashley is a licensed counselor, and together they've authored the book, I Used to Be, fill in the blank, how to navigate large and small losses in life and find your path forward. So, Ashley, let me pick up where I left off just before the break. You start the book out this way, so it gives me um, implied permission to ask you to talk about your losses. Well, talk to me about this. You write, both of you, with such eloquence about this experience. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was 2015 when we faced our first miscarriage. And we were in the hospital room and we turned on worship music. We say, Lord, this is not what we wanted, but we're going to seek you. We're going to keep worshiping you. And we took a year off. And again, in 2016, we said, we're going to try again. And our hearts were shattered when we faced another miscarriage. And we went to specialists. We traveled out of town. I turned to academic articles because my mom had faced recurrent miscarriage. And so through all of this, this is whenever I start feeling like I can't work in the same way. I'm not as good of a mom to my two children that we've already had. And so I feel like what's wrong with me, I want to be my best. And so 
going through this journey. We did have another miscarriage another year later, but then we had our our son in 2018. Was our third son, and and we're thankful for the good times. But it was during those really difficult seasons where we learned a lot about ourselves, about our identity, and and who we are. And so we do feel more confident that we can stand and say. I have stayed faithful to God through hard times and I'm building grit. I'm building resilience that sometimes I don't even want, mm. but I, I would rather have the good life or the easy life that sometimes we feel like we see in other people's lives. But I know some of the truths that I came away with really empowered my faith in a different way. One of which was that I, I dug into scripture and I said, God, mm. I want to stay faithful I see Job, he lost a lot more than I've lost, and he praised you. I want to be that way. And I saw his wife who said, why don't you curse God and die? I didn't want to be that way. And so I clung to God, yet I did feel like there was some silence. There were some seasons where I prayed and I prayed and I continued to do ministry, but I felt dry. I felt stuck and I felt like God was distant. And so I continued to go to God and to go to scripture and I found hope. It wasn't this loud hope that just like put a smile on my face, but <laughs> it was hope when I dug into the scripture that there is more to the story and that, you know, at the end of Job's story, Job did see that God was there all along. And so I held on to that. And I held on to the fact that David said, I'm grieving. I'm angry. Where are you? All kinds of different things. But then he would end the the psalm by saying, yet will I praise you. And I said, that's what I want to be like. And so I found that God was worthy before I got the answered prayers. God was worthy before I got the baby that I wanted or that we've gotten any sort of other good things that we've prayed for. But amid that time, you know, if someone would have just you know, slapped me on the cheek and said, oh, God is worthy before or, hey, the Lord is near mm -hmm. and, you know, just say something trite that even though I've come to some of those conclusions, just me then going to one of my counseling clients and saying, oh, the Lord's there. He's near the brokenhearted. You're great. You yeah. knew that, that that doesn't work. And so I, I just acknowledge that there's a lot of complexity to the identity work and even the work of the Holy Spirit, but mm -hmm. it really does mess with you, mess with your faith, mm -hmm. you know, when you go through really hard times. <laughs> yep. Yeah, boy, does it ever. You know, Chuck C.S. Lewis said that pain is God's megaphone. And we're we're supposed to be people of the word, right? We're supposed to be immersed in his word. And we've been promised throughout scripture particularly in James, that when those fiery trials come, not if, but it's mm -hmm. a declaration of promise that they're going to come. But boy, when it comes, we're, we're in a state of shock and awe. Me? Me? Mm -hmm. But I've been faithful. I serve on this committee. You know, I raise godly kids, fill in the blank, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then when suffering comes, we're just, we're in a state of shock. What is it about suffering that Christians fail to get? Because as Ashley just so beautifully stated, it is a classroom. It is a 500-level oh. intensive classroom, but it is a classroom. So talk to me about this. It is. It is. Going through grief can feel like grad school. And mm -hmm. the thing is, sometimes we think that, okay, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. And maybe if you've been uh, to a church or the background that you have says, okay, I'm Christian, so that means that I'm supposed to be happy. I'm supposed mm -hmm. to be too blessed to be stressed. I'm supposed to just be above all these things. Then something hard happens, and you don't know how to process it. 
I don't know that we do the best example in the church of showing people what does it look like to grieve because yes. grieving is a spiritual act. Lamenting is a spiritual act. You look at the Psalms, you look at people and not everybody in scripture gets everything that they want, even though God's with them. People have difficult times, even though God is with them. People have things taken away from them, even though God loves them beyond we can possibly imagine. And just because it seems like it's hard doesn't mean that God is removed from that situation. See, we tell ourselves that we want to come to God when we feel like we look godly. We sound godly. Mm -hmm. All of the aspects of our life seem like they're lined out, lined up and ready to go and ready to be on stage or be on camera or social media. But that's not what it is. God wants us to bring every single part of who we are to him. The nasty part that we feel like is down and out and we're covered in tears and feel like we don't know how to go on when we're at home by ourselves. He wants that just the same way that he wants you being on the front row looking cute, worshiping on Sunday morning. He wants all of it. But for some reason, we think that we're only supposed to bring to him what we think looks holy. And that's just not the way that we're supposed to do it. Wow. And, and the reason, again, I applaud you both for writing this topic is because it's one we avoid like the plague in the church too oh, yeah. often. And, and, I, and I just love what you just said, Chuck, about being more open and transparent of showing that lamenting is okay. I mean, the Lord named a book, the Lamentations, for goodness sake. It must uh, yep. be important in his world somewhere. Mm -hmm. But if you go back and you under, a, a verse I have just done a giant step over on a regular basis is the one that's found in Hebrews that says, he chastens those whom he loveth. And I thought, mm -hmm. oh, I really want to be loved by the Lord. Oh, I don't want to be chastened. So when we come back, I want to talk about this. And we know that the word tells us that there are two forms of discipline. That's what this is, chatheneth. So it's corrective or it's constructive. How to, and this goes to the quiet times that Ashley was talking about. How do we sense God's presence even in the silence when we're experiencing a loss, which made, I mean, it didn't slip past God that there were miscarriages. So why did God allow this? If, Romans 18, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. So I want to dig deeper into this idea of, of his discipline and its connection to grief and loss. Back after this. Chuck and Ashley Elias are with us, husband and wife team that have authored the book, I Used to Be, and then there's a blank, fill it in, how to navigate large and small losses in life and find your path forward. At the end of every chapter, you have a prayer, and this goes to the question I was putting out just before the break. God, give me the courage to name what I am grieving, to look at my losses and ultimately look to you for help. I need you more than I need breath, more than I need my physical or emotional needs met. Fill me with you. Amen. So this raises an interesting question about the characteristics of God. And, you know, I want to do my homework before I get the test. I, I hate it when I have to do my homework in the middle of the test. And so often when you've got a loss experience, that's where you're doing your homework and you're thinking, if I had been better prepared, maybe I could handle this experience, this fiery trial in a better way. So let me talk about what we often perceive as God's silence in the middle of this experience. You referenced Ashley earlier, Job. You know, when you think about that stunning, uh, that story, it's, it's so stunning because not once but twice Satan goes to God. The first time he takes away his possessions. The second time he says, I know, I'll go after his physical health. And so he goes mm -hmm. not once but twice to go after Job. And yet God 
uh, knows that Job is going to be faithful, and he does. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But in the midst of that, when he was sitting in the second attack from Satan, and he's scraping the pustules off his body, Hmm. um, it would have been very easy to say, God, where are you now? In the midst of the trials, of the loss, of the grief, it's very easy for us to say, God is silent. Chuck, let me go to you as a pastor. Do you think that sometimes God is, he's there, he's never absent, he's made that promise multiple times in his word, but in our experiential moment, we think he's not there because he's silent. Is the silence sometimes because he wants us to really put our mind on things above, to really understand Mm. what's going on in our life, to be able to realize that we've tried all of these other things, but the only thing will work will be running smack into his arms? Yeah. And there's always a learning opportunity. And I was thinking about that as you talked about discipline, because discipline doesn't just mean that you did something wrong and you're being punished for it. Yes. It doesn't mean that it's like, oh, you messed up and now you have to get a spanking. You have to get you have to get a whooping because you did this wrong. Right. It could mean that he loves you and he wants to be close to you and he wants you to be disciplined in your devotion to him. Not just that he's trying to push you away as a punishment. And sometimes we get that wrong because when you see this in scripture, it's like God wants this relationship with us. He wants closeness with us. He wants us to draw close to him. So when these things happen that are undesirable, it is not him pushing us away. In our earthly relationships, when somebody does something to hurt us, often it means they want us to kind of get away from them or they want to punish us in that kind of way. And that's not who our heavenly father is. And one of the verses that I loved in Job, it says that the Lord speaks in one way and in another, though man may not perceive it. And that Mm. was a verse that encouraged me so much because I felt God's silence and I was seeking him. I hoped he would talk to me or give me some comfort or make his word come alive a little bit more. But I just shifted my prayer a little bit to say, Lord, you're speaking in different ways. Help me Mm. see you in the breeze. Help me feel you in the sunlight. Help me to just be aware of all of the ways that you truly are present. When we breathe in and we breathe out and we're saying Yahweh, you know, we are experiencing God in more ways than we're often aware. Mm. And so I just made that my prayer and say, okay, Lord, your word tells us that you speak and sometimes we miss it. Then help me not miss it. And so just again, to just remind myself, it's okay if I'm not hearing from God, God still is present, but it's also okay if I'm not feeling God's presence because Job was a righteous man who God thought worthy of saying, okay, the enemy, I'll let you take all of these things because Job was faithful and he still felt some of the pain that, that I felt. And Janet, I think it's kind of like you said earlier, um, is God drawing our attention to something higher? Is he drawing Mm. our attention to a different perspective in this? Because if we're only connecting how good God is to our current circumstances, then we're definitely taking a shallow look at who he is. Yes. Oh, that's so rich. And combined, you two have said so many things that I think are so crucial. I think very often, because if we look at discipline, we equate it on a horizontal plane, the dynamic parent and child, Mm. perhaps. And so immediately the thought is, what have I done wrong? So Ashley, as you're miscarrying these precious babies, was there a moment when you thought, did I do something wrong? Am I being disciplined? In other words, that's so often for believers. Our first default position is that somehow we are mm-hmm. being punished. Now, I believe scripture teaches us there are times when there is a punishment there, but most of the time I'm going to say, I don't think that's the case. So how do we not default to 
he's not there. He's mad. I'm being punished. But rather we run because that's going to keep us from running to him. How do we turn that Mm. around? Yeah. For me personally, I I think that I just felt like God's hand of blessing was off of me and I felt Mm. less loved by God. And so I did feel you know, that there was something attached there. I do think that, you know, I, I kind of separated that belief that like, oh, bad things only happen to bad people, right, at least right. to a degree. I'm sure there was still a little bit in me that held on to it. But I have come to feel like, oh, when something good happens, that's God's blessing. And people say that Christian people, well-meaning people say that. And so if you live by that value system, then the opposite should hold true too. then. Okay. If something bad happens, then God doesn't care about me or God doesn't love me. He doesn't and want so, to bless us. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so I said, God, I did seek you. I sought you and said, Lord, I want to have faith in you for the second time and the third time. But but should I stop? You know, I wanna I wanna have the full quiver that you talk about in scripture, but I guess you're not answering. And so maybe you don't love me. And so yeah. digging into the scripture, I said, Yes, yes, I see God does love me, even if he's not as loud as even if his voice is a little bit quiet. And some of that was even my fault, my own grief and kind of pulling back, like you said. What a wonderfully transparent answer. And both of you time and time again, and I want to underscore this in our conversation, back to the word, back to the word, back to the word. How do you know the unconditional lover of your soul if you don't spend time in his love letters back after this? We live in complicated times, and in the market, we're helping you interpret complex cultural issues through the lens of Scripture. Our team of partial partners is growing, and to say thank you, they receive exclusive information from me. In fact, I talk to you directly from my personal computer to yours by email. Become a partial partner today, and you'll receive these exclusive benefits. Call 877-JANET-58 or go online to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. If you are just joining us, the warmest of welcomes and an encouraging word, you can get this conversation in its entirety by downloading the podcast. That's real easy. Just go to In the Market with JanetParshall.org. Look on the left-hand side. You'll see the words past programs. Click that on, and you can download either of the two hours we do every day going back a full year. And you are going to want to hear this conversation from the beginning. So let me formally reintroduce our guests to you. Chuck and Ashley Elliott are content creators who've partnered with Uversion, Right Now Media, and an array of other national organizations. They serve as advisory board members for the American Association of Christian Counselors International Christian Coaching Association. They're frequent speakers and popular workshop leaders, and their numerous certifications in psychoeducational programs equip them to help others build relational success. In addition to speaking and writing, Chuck is a pastor at Bethel Church in Evansville, Indiana, and Ashley is a licensed counselor as well. They join us today as the co-authors of the book, I Used to Be, and then there's a blank, fill in the blank, that's your loss. How to Navigate Large and Small Losses in Life and Find Your Path Forward. Chuck, I want to go back to something you said before, particularly I want to appeal to your pastor's heart. So this whole idea of grief, oh, we've got such Chinese fortune cookie approach to Christianity so often. And by that, I mean these quick little witticisms that have no meat at all. They barely pass the milk test, let alone the meat test. And one of the Mm -hmm. things that we've got completely twisted around is that 
if we grieve somehow, we don't have enough faith or there's unconfessed life uh, sin in our life. And I've got that joy, joy down in my heart. And I was told to have an abundant life. So, you know, I'll just skip over this grief thing and I won't really have any moments of grief or um, expressions of, and I'll use the word lamentations. Well, these are people who mm. clearly haven't spent time in the Psalms for a start. Talk to me about why lamenting is worshipful and appropriate for a believer and not a spiritual Geiger counter for their maturity. Mm. You find growth there, because the thing is, if you deny parts of your life, then you're not being a person of integrity. Many times when we feel like our faith is not whole, we're not whole as people, we're not whole in our relationships, it's because there's something that is cracked. There's something that is missing in our integrity. And when you do not allow God into every part of your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever it might be, you are lacking integrity and you don't feel like it is as solid as it needs to be. And if you don't have a, a theology, if you do not have some way to process these difficult things that happen in life, you're going to miss out on the wholeness that God wants us to experience in him, all of those parts. And if we're not careful, we will teach people just life enhancement skills and mm. throw some scripture on it. And it is not true to what the gospel is. You look at the disciples, you look at the apostles, you take a look at people in scripture when they're doing something for God, when they're living out their full faith, it doesn't mean they just get bigger houses and bigger cars. It mm. means they draw close to Jesus and they have a mission that they're a part of that's bigger than them. And when we back up and we say, God, how do you want to use me? How do you want to use this pain, what I'm going through? Yes. Show me, teach me. Then he does. And there's blessing and there's joy in that. But for some reason, we think that we had the right to redefine joy and redefine blessing. And it's not scriptural. And Amen. I think that there's some humanity to that too, though, that we don't want the pain. And so sure. we don't feel very spiritual. And whenever we have the pain, we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa Lord, Lord, I don't, I don't think you meant this. I don't think this is really what your plan is. Surely you didn't mean that. Jesus. <laughs> exactly. And, right. Yeah. So we do see it with Job, like that it was the enemy. So we can, you know, remove that. It has to be that God's causing the pain, right? Right. The bad comes from the enemy. Good comes from God. But sometimes God allows the pain to bring us to the place where he wants us to bring the discipline or mm. to allow us to be used for his glory in different ways. And so I think some of the times we get stuck on trying to find meaning in the moment, you know, like, why did God cause me to miscarry? Why did God caused me to miscarry? Is it is it because I've been punished? Is it something right, else? Right. But knowing that we just have to focus on the who. The who is God. I'm going to submit to him. He's the authority. and His way is perfect. And this doesn't feel perfect, but I'm going to trust in him. And I'm going to cling to him because there is no other answer. If we were going to be completely transparent with one another, I think we'd have to say that it is in those trials, in those, those classroom experiences of discipline, those losses when we have a choice of either drawing closer to him or repelling away from him. For those of us who have drawn closer, <laughs> what is it about those experiences that when we're not in the midst of a trial, sometimes the closeness isn't there? Is it because we have this air of self-sufficiency? God, I'll get back mm -hmm. to you when I have problems. But until then, I'm on coast, uh, coast mode right now, and I've got this covered. In other words, if we, if we understand that that very often is the default position for us as believers— then there's something beneficial to be found in suffering as antithetical to post-modernity as that seems. Am I right or wrong? Mm. 
Mm. Yeah. And in our talk with counseling clients, especially, I've noticed that people tend to either get closer to God when they're really good and everything's fine or when things are really bad. But for either case, there's this middle ground where the apathy oftentimes Mm -hmm. comes in. Mm -hmm. We read our Bible either when things are good or when things are bad, but you know, for different people and different personalities or upbringing and whatnot, they have a bent to just leaving God behind in that mundane. And so I think that just realizing that that's kind of part of humanity that is written on our sin nature that we have to fight against, that we say, I'm going to praise God in the storm. I'm going to praise him on the mountain and I'm going to praise him on Monday when nothing is exciting Mm -hmm. and it's raining outside. God is worthy before we get an answered prayer. God's worthy before we get a good email or a promotion or whatever the thing is that we're looking for. But it's also okay to acknowledge that we don't always feel like reading the Bible and it doesn't have to always feel like the information jumps off the pages or makes sense. Like God wants to be pursued. God wants us to consider him a jewel that he is. He's better than gold or silver. And so we can search for him. We can search for wisdom and there is joy in that. And so looking back, I say yes, but also in some current situations I'm in now, I go, oh, but Lord, I like the mountaintop. I don't want this current pain. So can we just get through this? Can I learn the lesson? Can you bring me to the other side of it? Notes. More quickly, yes, yes, yes. Note something because this pain is not what I want. Wow. Chuck, I know you want to add to this as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. See, we, we see so many times that people aren't drawing close to God unless they're on the high or the low. And I think as a church, we do people a disservice to not show them what does it mean to be connected to God in all areas. And I know I've already said this, but the thing is, how do we teach the discipline of digging into God's word for the sake of the relationship? Because if you have a friend, a wife, a husband, whoever it might be, and the only time that you call on them is when everything's falling apart or you want to call them to brag about something, that's not much of a relationship. So what's the consistency look like? And oftentimes when we go through a time of loss, we realize we've been lacking our biblical knowledge. We've been lacking New Testament biblical community. We don't have anybody who knows much about our life. And then we feel like we're doing it alone. Mm. And then if nobody reaches out to you after you go through a major loss from the church, um, yes, I believe that churches should do that, but it might also reveal that you haven't been engaging in community the way that you should have or would have benefited from for the years previous to this. Mm. And and that's something that it often reveals. And I don't want to tell people that and saying, your life's going to fall apart. You better get connected to the church now. Like it's a scare tactic, scare tactic, but God designed biblical community for a reason, and there's something beautiful about it. Yeah, exactly right. Wow. Ashley, is there an appropriate way to grieve for the believer? I think that giving ourselves permission to have a lot of different roadmaps is super important. I think in Mm -hmm. the church, we often think that it's supposed to look this way or that. And one of the things I think a lot of people do is deny. They say, oh, I've got to put on that, like you said, stoicness that we have to have as a Christian. Like, oh, no, I'm good. I'm good. But in reality, to have that tender heart is the one that God can shape. And if we put up our walls, we, we go into this denial state then we're not open to God or open to the healing that God would bring. And so one of the things that I love is to think about that armor that God has given us in Ephesians, and he's given us a belt of truth. But so often when we go through something hard, we deny. We deny that it's really happening. We deny that 
that there's a you know good that can come from it, whatever it is that looks very different, but giving people permission to say, hey, there's a timeline that I have in my head that I haven't communicated, maybe even with myself, but it's okay if I'm not meeting that deadline to mm. get over my grief because actually I'm never going to get over this. It's always going to walk with me and it's okay that I'm struggling with some of these timelines. Something we often do with our coaching and counseling clients is they say, I just want to feel better. Well, let's define what better means. I just want life to get back to normal. And most of us know after you lose somebody or something that mm -hmm. you loved, normal is going to look different. Yep. So we kind of have to define that and we work towards it. So I just want to feel better. What does that mean? Well, I want to be able to get through church without sobbing. Okay. Well, what's that look like? Okay. Is it okay for you to cry? Are you afraid of being seen? What's wrong with sobbing? Okay. So uh, you want to say three months from now, you'll be able to drive past the hospital that you feel like you haven't been able to drive past. Okay. Well, let's talk about what are the steps look like to do that. And it is individualized and allowing yourself to hurt where you need to hurt and to be joyful where you need to be joyful and having that full uh, perspective on how it looks to, to heal, to get better, because it is individualized. And that process Chuck described is what we call neutralizing triggers. Now you can't mm. perfectly neutralize a trigger, but if you know that driving past the hospital is a pain point for you, then we can learn, okay, why? Because I hoped that I would face, you know, bring my baby home there. And mm -hmm. so then we can say, okay, Lord, I'm going to also hold on to the good. I'm thankful that this hospital still exists, but maybe I give myself permission to drive a different route for a while. This is what we did. So whatever it is that like you understand, there's a trigger and I need to bring God into it instead of covering it up in shame and saying, oh, when I get better, I'll go to God with all my beauty. But no, we bring God into those negative spaces and he'll bring healing. Amen. Such an important book. It's called, I used to be fill in the blank, how we define ourselves, sometimes by that which we've lost. And so the book challenges us to discover how to handle loss. Back after this. Chuck and Ashley Elliott are with me. They are the co-authors of the book, I Used to Be, fill in the blank, how to navigate large and small losses in life and find your path forward. You, there's so much in the book. We could talk for hours and hours and hours. You t mentioned the idea of avoiding triggers, like avoiding a route past a hospital in your case. Um, you also write about work-grief balance, which is interesting because we've also talked just a little bit about the nature of grief, which, by the way, is not prescriptive. It, I, I've shared this story a thousand times. Uh, when I was grieving the death of my son, I remember grocery shopping, and I'm in the frozen food section, and a piece of Muzak comes on. That was a song that had meaning in our life, and I burst into tears. And I remember saying to the Lord, not now, mm. not among the frozen peas. This is not where I want to be grieving. <laughs> so grief shows up when it wants to, where it wants to. That's a little bit of a problem when you're at work. How do you balance that? Well, sometimes we feel like we have to hide who we really are at work. And I think there's an appropriate way to share what's going on. And you want to feel seen telling somebody, telling your boss, having a friend or someone letting, letting them know that you're having a hard time because it will show up when it wants. And we've heard this story uh, many times. But one example we have is we had a friend who was in a team meeting at work and she got angry about something and really lashed out and raised her voice and just uncharacteristic of who she is usually soft-spoken, but she had lost her husband just a month mm. before. Mm. And it was after that meeting that a coworker came out with her and had a conversation and said, hey, 
I think it'd be good for you to maybe go to a grief share, maybe go to a group or something, because I know this just isn't like you, and that's not who you are. And she needed to feel seen. She didn't need to be judged, but she needs somebody to recognize she's going through a hard time and somebody offering the support in that moment. That's a very important idea, this idea of transparency again. And by the way, I remember reading a book several years ago by a very well-known pastor who wrote about the problem of transparency in the church. Chuck, I'm going to linger mm. with you a moment longer, too. Um, it's this whole idea, again, this goes back to this bumper sticker ideology of Christianity, which doesn't do the world any favors because it's not authentic Christianity. And it, it stumbles us in our growth as well because we need to dive deeper into God's Word but this idea yeah. of being transparent, we arrive Sunday morning and it's got to be perfect family, perfect marriage, perfectly coiffed, perfectly dressed, perfectly balanced checkbook. And oh, by the way, I left a perfectly clean home. Really? Most of the time we're <laughs> screaming at our kids before we get into the parking lot. So why do we as the church, and I think this is not just important and germane to our conversation about loss and grief, but just the Christian yeah. walk in general. Why Why do we play cover-ups so often? Why are we afraid to be is a judgment of our other brothers and sisters because one of your chapters deals with how others respond to my loss. Well, if I'm going to be really transparent, I'm going to open myself up to some really interesting statements from people around me. Mm. You are, and you may not like what people say because mm -hmm. they might have some of those cookie cutter t-shirt bumper yeah. sticker comments. That's it. Right. And I think, I think this goes a little bit deeper too. And Gina, I'm sure that you have seen how there are too many pastors and spiritual leaders who fall. Mm. We have so many that seems like are living this double life. And I, I feel like at moments, the production of the church sometimes takes this stage figuratively and like physically mm -hmm. that isn't good for the leaders and it isn't good for the congregation all the time, that things have to be so produced and so put together and so perfect and shiny that where's the transparency? To say that you're having a hard time, you're having a hard week, because maybe you're going to lose uh, that position if somebody doesn't think that you're perfect and you have it all together. And what that causes you to do is to hide the first thing that doesn't go perfectly, and then the second thing, and then the third thing. And then you're building this other life and this other world that doesn't line up with Scripture and doesn't line up with the world that you've put out to people, and it will crush you. And unfortunately, I've seen that from a distance and up close in situations with people that I've worked with, and it's really difficult. But we have to be careful. What is it that we're putting out to people? What is it that we're telling them that it means to be a Christian, especially for evangelism? When you take mm -hmm. a look at this, are yep. you selling people life enhancement? Are you selling people that if you just come to Jesus, all your problems are going to go away and you're just automatically not going to have anxiety and depression? <laughs> well, does he do something to alleviate anxiety and depression? Are there things that we go through scripturally to do that? Absolutely. But if you're selling a magic pill to a better life, that's not the gospel. Yeah, and I think that oftentimes pastors feel pressure to feel to be perfect. Yeah. And then when they fall into that trap, mm -hmm. they do this facade. And so we we believe that the scripture says that God brings from the dark to the light the things that need to be brought to the light. And that is for our good. Because if we say a little white lie as a five-year-old and our parents help call it out, it can raise us up to have integrity. And if we allow ourselves to hide and hide, or maybe we don't get caught, we might think this is normal. And so we just have tried to live a life where we say sorry to our kids if we lose our cool, because we lose our cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and we want to be a good example. And yet it's okay to just go out and say, hey, I'm not perfect. But that doesn't give us uh, the right to then just 
be a jerk or sin all day long, but it's okay to just acknowledge that all of us are at the same place at the foot of the cross. We're not perfect. We need Jesus, but we can get better. And so that story where you shared about you know, being in the grocery aisle, you know, you don't, we don't want to lose it. We don't want to lose it on stage. We don't want to have people see us at our worst whenever we're supposed to be at our best. But I think that whenever we just try to show up and say, God, I'm going to do my best to find my identity in you more than in looking like a good mom at the grocery store or put together spouse or employee, whatever it is that we feel like we are are not able to hold together, knowing that our identity is first in Him and He will help us find that path forward, finding the hope that will bring us where we want to be because then we can help extend that hand to someone else and bring hope to the next generation. Well, that's the thesis of the book in a nutshell. And in an hour that's gone far too quickly, I have a minute left. Chuck, I want to ask you, What Ashley just said is so beautiful. I used to be Mm. filling the blank. We're never going to be a used to be in Christ Jesus. How do we hunger for a horizontal relationship as our identity rather than a vertical one? Absolutely. Well, we hunger to have a relationship with the people who are around us to be honest and transparent. So we leave a legacy of people who are following after Christ wholly, honestly, with everything that they have. Wow, what a wonderful answer. Thank you so much for such an important book that I pray will be used by the Church, capital C, Universal, to really start to look more like him. And that that message of the gospel is seen in our lives as we're living out authentic Christianity with eloquence. The book is called, I Used to Be, How to Navigate Large and Small Losses in Life and Find Your Path Forward. By the way, Chuck and Ashley have a website. It's real easy, chuckandashley.com. If you forget it, I've got a link on my information page. I also have a link where you can click on through to discover how you can get a copy of this book as well. All of us will have losses. All of us will be in God's classroom. All of us will experience fiery trials. How do we experience it? How do we draw close to him? This book will help you find some answers. Thank you, Chuck and Ashley. Thank you, friends. We'll see you next time on In the Market with Janet Parshall.